Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Benjamin Kitchings, and you're listening to the History Voyager. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. Being a podcaster is basically incredibly humbling. It really is an exercise in humility. It's also an exercise in learning about perspective, learning about how your situation compares to other situations in the world. And granted, you're not really supposed to do that, at least at least growing up in my family and in my little slice of society, I was taught not to do that. And, and basically, I tried over the years not to do that. And then I got this email from this woman whose name is Christina Hogue. And I remember she wanted to talk to me not about what we ended up talking about. She was actually kind of amazed that I wanted to talk about that. And of course, it was the fact that she covered the 2002 Venezuela coup. And, I mean, a lot of my listeners, if you've known me, if you've been with me this long, you know that I'm fascinated by politics. And so, of course, I wanted to talk to her. Well, through talking to her, I basically went down this rabbit hole. Um, you know, I, I sort of burrowed into the the different political situations, the authoritarian, etc. situations of, of the planet. And I thought, well, let me talk to somebody from Venezuela. And so I put an ad, I believe, well, it was in a chat room. And this person uh, basically took great courage to respond and she did and I told her that I wanted to talk about just what it was like to live in Venezuela and you know she came on um god I guess it was um well we say it was I guess December uh, January ish when she came on but she came on and we had a chat and if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, uh, you, you should totally go back. It's called One Life After the O2 Coup. And she says her name in both of the episodes, and at least the name she wants to go by. And I know what she tells me her name is, but I don't know that I know her name. Anyway, so we had a, a nice, I don't want to say nice conversation, but we had a, a conversation that really struck me, one, how intelligent she is, and, and two, how very, um, you know, just the way she lives her life and the things that she deals with every day. And it occurred to me, you know, She's a very intelligent young lady, and she deserves a voice. And And I'm more than happy to have her on my podcast. And then time goes by, and I discover, you know, basically through what I've been doing, and I guess word of mouth, I've become, you know, I'm in the top 10% in the world, according to Listen Notes, in, in terms of audience size. 
And so I thought, what can I do with that platform? Well, one of the things I wanted to do was have her back. Because I think, you know, I don't know how many people listen to my podcast. I, I know a number that my pod provider tells me. I don't necessarily know that I believe that number uh, for sure. But I have a number. And so I wanted to give her a, a basically a, another crack at a stage to use an American idiom. And she came back, and she has a bit of good news, which she is going to share uh, with all of us. Um, I've heard it, and you you are, are going to hear it. Anyway, so that's that, and that's my little introduction. Uh, as always, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are too, but... If you have the time, please go back and listen to One Life After the O2 Coup. And also, please listen to this podcast. I th- you know, talking to people who live in authoritarian regimes is very important because you want to know what that's like. If you're an American or if you're a British person or a Canadian or whatever, I think you want to know what that's like. Um Anyway, uh, thank you very much, and um, here it is. Here's the episode. Okay, thanks. Bye, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen of the History Voyager, my name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. I'm here with Val, who some of you might remember from a my Venezuela podcast I did many moons ago. She came back. We're going to have a yeah. conversation about what's going on. Um, hi. 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 Um, so tell me, um, what's going on? Well, yeah, a lot of things have happened since we talked. I mean, maybe not so much in Venezuela, but in my personal life. So a lot of things, things have changed, but uh, yes, I would love to talk about it, about what's happening right now in Venezuela, in my life, what I'm going to do. So let's yeah. talk a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, now you've told me some stuff in our, in our chats, but I don't know if I and say any of that. So why don't you <laughs> just tell me what you feel comfortable with saying. Of course, yeah. Uh, I don't remember when was the last time we talked. When was it? Uh, uh, it was December, about, yeah. Yeah, Hopefully. half a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't feel that long ago. I actually, well, that's because yeah. we've chatted a lot. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, um, I told you that time at the podcast that, you know, I talked about uh, what do I do for a living, um, how is the, the life of an average middle class in Venezuela, um, an university student, and right now, in terms of career and school, we're pretty much, I'm pretty much the same, I'm still studying at uni, of course, online, because we don't have... Uh, in-person classes due to COVID. Um, the pandemic has 
hit us really hard in Venezuela because also vaccines start coming all over the world, not only here. But the thing is that um, vaccination in Venezuela is very slow. I got vaccinated, but I'm 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 really young. I mean, most people my age all around the world haven't even been vaccinated yet. But I did hear Venezuela because vaccination program is all over the place. It's like uh, a gamble thing. So if they tell you to get vaccinated, you get vaccinated. Um, for example, I had my two shots of the vaccine, but my grandmother only has one, um, which doesn't make sense because you know she's my grandmother. Of course, she's older than me. Um, so, and although some people in Caracas, which is the capital city of Venezuela, uh, are getting their shots, a lot of people all around the country don't have any hope of having the vaccine because uh, the last thing we knew was like uh, around three million dollars, uh, uh, three million, I don't know if it's, it's shots or, yes, three million shots of the vaccine. I mean, not for three million people, you know, but half of it. There's three I mean, million, there's three million yeah. doses. Exactly, exactly. Wow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Venezuela, it has, a, I, I don't have a exact number right now because a lot of people have fled the country. The last time we knew about 30, 30 million people. So, of course, there aren't enough vaccines for everyone. The pandemic no. and COVID have been hitting us hard in Venezuela. Uh. Economy, at least in Caracas, is starting to reopen. But the cases are still going up and up and up. So these six months have been rough for Venezuela in terms of COVID and so on and so on. So it, it's been about six months in that in, in that matter. Mm. How are COVID cases where you live? Well, thirty nine percent of my state is vaccinated. Oh, nice. Vaccinated. Well, yeah. Okay. Um. There's a new variant of COVID that impacts children. The uh, Delta? Well, it, is that the Delta? Yeah, the Delta, um, yes, yes it is. Uh, it impacts children. And um, <clears throat> it impacts children and the unvaccinated. Um, apparently, mm -hmm. it's like 80 times more contagious than, you know, the COVID. The other kind of COVID, I guess, like the first kind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I was just reading an article where there's still a lot of people that they think it's a hoax. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, they here in Venezuela, too. Really? In Venezuela, they think it's a hoax? Yeah, it is. I mean, that kind of thinking it's not only I mean you see it all over the world I do believe that in Venezuela there are uh, uh, less people in in terms of percentage uh, believing that it's a hoax but there is still a lot of people Venezuela use uh, internet a lot so although we have a pretty bad internet connection 
a lot of people, especially in big cities, are online, on Facebook, on Twitter, and the same things that you can see on English-speaking English Facebook pages, you see it on Spanish-speaking. That is the hope that, I don't know, also in Venezuela, the vaccines that we have are the Chinese and the Russian. Uh, so, oh, yeah. so there are, right. I mean, for example, Sputnik, Sputnik V is the Russian vaccine. Actually, it is, it seems pretty good in terms of, um, I mean, scientific research. Few uh, review have said that the vaccine Sputnik is, is fine. The Chinese has a lower percentage of protection, but it's still, you know, a vaccine is still a vaccine, although it's not. Uh, as good as Sputnik or Pfizer or Moderna. But uh, a lot of people in Venezuela, due to the fact that they are scared of the government and the Chinese and the Russians, they don't want to take the vaccine because they think, because they come from Russia and China, that they, I mean, you know, that the vaccine is dangerous. So that's another whole other story for Venezuela that they don't want to take the vaccine. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk the Chinese, about? By the way. Oh yeah, you took the Chinese. Um, so, do you want to talk about? Uh, you're going to Spain, or do you not want to talk yeah. about that? Yeah, yeah. The only thing that has been happening, but that's you know, in my personal life, is that. I'm planning my trip, a trip, well, not a trip, I'm planning to, to move to Spain. So I think I will be finally leaving Venezuela if nothing weird happens from here to uh, two months. But um, if, if everything goes right, I will be leaving Venezuela pretty soon and I will be leaving, uh, I'll be moving to Spain. So I'll be leaving in Spain. I'm very excited about it. Okay. I'm I'm happy for you. I'm Thank really, you, really happy. I'm really happy for you. Um, Thank you. Thank you. No, no yeah. I am. I'm so happy. Um do you um have you so you have you been to Spain before or I I, I traveled to Spain once, uh when I okay. when I on my 15th birthday, uh, I traveled to Spain. You know, uh, I have I have family in Spain, so it, it was cheap to do because I could live in Spain. I mean, without paying, you know, an hotel or anything. So I stayed in Spain. With yeah, my you could stay in Spain. With, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So I stayed in Spain with with some relatives uh, for over. Almost two months in, in Spain, in Barcelona specifically. And yeah. um, I love the city. I love Barcelona. I, I couldn't visit anymore because, uh, of course, I, I, I didn't have enough money, you know, to travel to all Spain. But uh, I love Barcelona, which is the city that I stayed, and it, it is just so beautiful. And I'm um, I'm going to move to Barcelona, so I'm gonna visit it again. It, it is really, really, yeah. really, really great. I, I wish you could go someday. I don't know if you have trouble with things. I've, I've only ever been out of the country once, and that was to Canada. Oh, 
Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I might, it, it is really, it, it is really pretty. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen, I've seen videos on YouTube and stuff. Um, so, I'm, I'm happy for you that you're going to, you're going to be mo moving to Spain. Um, have you, um, you want to talk about, um, the city where you live or, or not? Yeah, I mean, what do you mean about Caracas? Oh, yeah, like what's going on there, or like as far as things? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. well, let me call you on December in terms of, uh, food and services, it's pretty much the same. It, it hasn't changed. Um, Pandemic sport has, has shaped the way we, we live in Caracas, but in terms of, uh, of how costly the life is, it's pretty much the same. For example, well, one thing that I've noticed, that, I mean, Venezuelans have noticed this for, I don't know, many years now, but you know, inflation in Venezuela is typically high. I mean, you can't even imagine how high it is. I mean, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at the statistics, but it's like, it, it is dumb how high it is. It doesn't make sense for anyone that doesn't live in Venezuela. That's why we use US dollars to pay for things or to, to know how much goods and services are worth because we use, we measure them in US dollars and not in Venezuelan believers. So um, one thing that I've noticed for many years now is that inflation in your dollars is a real thing. Uh, for example, just yesterday I bought a yogurt. I like literally just a cup of yogurt, I don't know, you know, that you buy on the, on the supermarket. Um, and it cost me a dollar and... 60 cents, 60, I mean, 1.6 cents, <laughs> yeah. Um, just two weeks ago, I bought the same exact yogurt, and it was 1.2, which you say, I mean, it's, sorry, sorry, not, no, 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 not 1.2, it was like one, one dollar, and two weeks later, it was 1.6. That's huge, I mean, you say just, I mean, it's not too much in terms, in terms of your dollar, but the percentage of the increase is huge. And you say, well, maybe the yogurt was on sale before or, or something like that, but it isn't, it wasn't. I mean, they actually changed the product uh, cost in that way so huge uh, in just two weeks. It doesn't happen with everything. And sometimes, sometimes they put like, this higher price, and after a while, they see that people aren't buying it because you know it is too expensive, and then it goes back. You know, it's like uh, that's how markets work. The thing is that the fact the Venezuelan economy is just so fucked up that um, no one, the market that that regulates itself, it feels like the wild west. 
So everything, the prices are all over the place. For example, McDonald's in Venezuela is more expensive than in the U.S. And you could say, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but if you compare it with other McDonald's in the region, Colombia, Brazil, Mexico, um, Peru, I mean, none of those are as expensive as Venezuela. Like a Big Mac are like, I don't know, but seven, eight, nine dollars. That's a lot for Venezuela. Yeah, that's a lot. That's I mean, a lot for a Big Mac. Yeah, that's I mean, not you know. Uh, no one buys in McDonald's, by the way. I mean, McDonald's sits in Venezuela because I, I think they don't want to close their location, and like they're hoping that maybe someday they can recover or something like that because no one buys McDonald's at that price. It just doesn't make sense to buy something at that, at that price. So, yeah, the economy, it's been wild. Uh, so if you want to buy at the best price, you need to go all over the place. I don't buy in a single supermarket. I go to a supermarket near my house, but I buy some other kind of groceries like cheese or uh, other kind of products in another supermarket and maybe my fruits, I buy them uh, with some people that deliver them to my house. So I have like, I buy my fruit for the month from four different places or even more different places. Is that because of the, um, the price of the food? Yeah, it is because of the prices, because maybe in some in some place they have something that is extremely uh, expensive, and if you go to another place, the difference in prices are huge. I mean, and of course, like in every country in the world and in every city, there are places that are more, more expensive than others. That's okay. That's normal. It happens all the time, everywhere. But in Venezuela, it is not like... I'm going to buy this from this vendor every time because I know he is the cheapest. No. It really depends on the week or on the month. Maybe sometimes the one that you always buy milk with, you can buy it there because it's way too expensive, so you got to go to another place. You know, in other parts of the world, you know, like, oh, this is like a... Uh, Farmers market, and you know that the farmers market in the U.S. I think are a bit more expensive, right? Hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, because yeah, in no. yeah. Okay, okay. In, in America they have like expensive grocery stores and cheaper grocery stores, but we also yeah, like, don't have outside of the pandemic. We we don't really have massive inflation of basic foods week to week, like yeah. basic basic foods and I yeah. noticed you said I noticed earlier you said you have to buy food by the month um, why do you do that oh you buy food uh, by the month okay well first I'm, 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 I have to say that I'm privileged to do this because a lot of people in Venezuela can't I mean they need to buy food every every week or every day, actually, every day, because they don't have yeah. enough money to save up to yeah. buy just, you know, one day, they buy for the whole month, 
they can do that, so they buy what they're going to eat every single day. Yeah. I have the privilege to be able to buy a big amount of groceries once a month, and I usually do it, I mean, I say once a month, but it actually depends. I, I usually buy in my house uh, in big quantities. For example, if I find toilet paper that is very cheap in a place, I'm not, I'm not going to just buy one. I'm going to buy a lot of them because I know they are cheap, and they may not be cheap the next week or the oh, next yes. month. Yes. So if I find something that is cheap, I buy it in big amounts of, yeah, in big, in big amounts, so I can uh, I can have it. The same thing uh, works for, for for a lot of groceries. The only thing that I actually buy constantly, you know, because you have to, like vegetables, you know, because they go bad, or maybe fruits if I buy fruits because they go bad. But everything else I buy I buy in big quantities. Same for meat. If you see my fridge, which again believe me this is a privilege in Venezuela there's a lot of frozen meat because me and my mom we don't buy meat for the week or not even the month my mom and I we buy meat for like two months I mean we buy enough meat for like two months maybe even more first because my mom as many Venezuelans she's scared that something may happen and we are not going to be able to buy the next month. I mean, when I'm saying something may happen, it's like, because we have seen before, if there is a oil crisis and the trucks can't put oil in the trucks, so they can deliver meat to, you know, to the city. So that's not, that's the thing. Also, if there is a political crisis and people are protesting on the streets, um, if you're protesting, you probably won't find meat vendors opening their stores like nothing happens while outside there are protests. So, uh, so that, yeah, that's another reason. And in general, Venezuelans have like this mentality that something really bad is going to happen at every time. So my mom is one of them. So she likes to buy in big amounts to have it on the fridge. Uh, and not buy, so if something happens and we can't leave our place, we have enough food for a month to survive. Wow, and I, I guess your mother has, your mother remembers life before the 2002 coup, probably yeah. a lot, so she probably, yeah, yeah. Now, your mother doesn't speak English, does she? Uh, she tries, but she, okay. no, but she, she doesn't, she doesn't. I mean, she, yeah. she study English, but, you know, I know, yeah. I mean, she, she, she has learned a bit through Facebook because she's like playing Facebook games and stuff, but she, she does not speak English. Well, I was wondering because I was wondering if she'd want to come on. <laughs> okay, <coughs> maybe, but she, she, no, she, she wouldn't be able to understand. Yeah, I was just thinking. But, yeah, I mean, I would imagine, like, if you're uh, a certain age, like, you remember the coup, so you're thinking, oh, God, I have to, if you can stock up, like, you have to stock up. Exactly. Yeah. And, for example, when the pandemic hit, 
I mean, I know, I mean, if you remember, everyone in the U.S. and in Europe were like freaking out, buying toilet paper. There's a funny video of someone in Italy that is like an, an old person. So he enters the store and says, like, Mamma Mia, where is the pasta? Oh, of course, in Italian. I'm sorry for the impersonating, for impersonation. I don't speak Oh, Italian. that's, that's <laughs> fine. That's fine. Uh, but, but, but yes, um, there wasn't any pasta in Italy in that grocery store. So in Venezuela, <laughs> that, that didn't happen for two reasons. First, because we are used to it. We, we know, we, we're used to it, like, we were yeah. chilling. I mean, I remember I was chilling at my home, like, I have, like, four packets of, uh, yeah, four packets of toilet paper, of toilet paper, I have food, so we were chilling. But also, the other thing is that a lot of Venezuelans didn't have, like, money to go to the grocery store and stock up due to the pandemic. So, I mean, we were, I mean, when the pandemic hit in Venezuela, we were like, well, we're already living hell. What else can happen? So people were like, yeah. um, I'm going to stay at home and hope for the best. We literally can't do anything else. And that's what happened. Actually, we, we couldn't do anything else. Yeah. Yeah, I get, I get that. I mean, Life is all a matter of perspective, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Life is, yeah, life is all a matter of perspective. I mean, yeah. Um, so, the Venezuelans who think that COVID's a hoax, um, like in America, I was just reading this article, in the U.S., I was, I was just reading this article, uh, where there was a doctor and she said that even now she gets people that they had or their family members died of COVID and they thought, well, it was a hoax or that it was that only certain races could get it or whatever, only certain blood types could get it. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, I guess, what are some of the things they think that COVID, um, well, I guess, what are some of the reasons they think COVID's a hoax? Like, what are some of the things they say? Well, there are many uh, variants or many type of persons that think that COVID is a hoax. Um, yeah. They're the ones that think that it is not a hoax, that it's real, but it was, uh, it was everything done on purpose. But it's not like, oh, China did it and that's it. No, it was like the, the Illuminati, the Illuminati or, you know, the New World Order, plan all this, each other. There were too many old people. And because there were too many old people in the world and climate crisis was hitting hard and people in Europe, because there were too many people, uh, they couldn't afford, you know, taking care. Of, of the elderly, so they say, you know what, let's kill everyone, and they did call yeah. that one. The other okay. one okay. is that it's just a flu, yeah. you know, that it's just a flu, and everyone in the whole world got together, you know, the president of the United States, the president of, of you know, countries in Europe, and so on, so on, they 
got together and said, you know, we need to control the population. So we're going to control them by telling them that this virus is really, really bad, but it isn't. So they see, like, uh, a mask is like a way of control. They see the uh, imposing uh, restrictions, you know, you can't go out to a bar or something like that. It's another way to control. So, oh, all those stuff. There's the other kind of people that, <laughs> that I don't know, you know, the, all the, the kind of people that say that the vaccine has weird effects and everything was meant for uh, they create a virus in order to create a vaccine that allows them to control them. I mean, I don't, no one that I know says that there is like a microchip in the vaccine or, or that Bill Gates is gonna control you through 5G. But I do know, I mean, I, I've had people that say, oh, but I don't know whether they're putting me there. Maybe they did it on purpose because uh, they wanted us to get injected with something weird that we don't know what to cause us. So yeah, those yeah. are like the main, like the main ones. It's interesting that people say that, and you're living in Venezuela, and I'm living in the U.S., and I hear that. I mean, I hear yeah. that, that Bill Gates is trying to microchip people. I yeah, it's just that's what's so interesting to me is that a lot of these it's like we have a common one of the things okay let me say it like this one of the things COVID is teaching me is that we have in the world in the whole world we have a common culture of of like almost like a common information culture or common pop culture yeah, I would say, yeah, like information culture. Yeah, like, exactly. Maybe it happened due to the internet, probably. It's so, it's, I, you know, COVID-19 really has taught me so much about, about the world I live in. Because, you know, I would not know, for example, that people in Venezuela and people in the U.S. are looking at the same websites and seeing the same thing about how Bill Gates is putting microchips in vaccine, which of course he isn't. Of course <laughs> you have a cell phone with yourself. You already have a two. I know, right? Yeah, like uh, for Bill Gates. <laughs> Bill Gates doesn't even make cell phones. The guy just made your computer. Made your computer. Well, I think he just makes software. I don't think he makes. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, Microsoft, yeah, software. Yeah, yeah, software. Oh boy. Um. So, what are you looking forward to in in Spain? Well, I try to. First, I'm going to keep working. I have the ability to work remotely, so it's nice. Um, then I'm going to try to find, um, I'm going to try to find a board 
am insane and eventually uh, I'm gonna try to restore my university students studies in Spain because of course I I, I won't be able to finish my degree here in Venezuela. Um, what's your, what's your what kind of degree are you getting? Computer uh, science. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, computer science. That's why I can work with I can work remotely. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. That's why I can work remotely. Um. So, but the first thing that I'm gonna do because you know, like I said to you, and you have family that lives in Spain, but it's not like immediate immediate family. It's not like my mom, dad. Uh, it's, it's a bit far, more far away. So I'm gonna go to Spain, but then I'm gonna ask for the refugee status in Spain. Um, uh, right now, currently, if you came from Venezuela directly to Spain, is uh, giving refugee status for a lot of Venezuelans, so they can stay um, legally in Spain as refugees. So that's what I'm gonna do because I can't, I, I can't stay in Spain any other way. If you want another type of visa, uh, for example, student visa, you need an insane amount of money. Like, you need the money for the whole year that, I mean, for arriving to Spain, if you want to study, and you, you want the visa, the student visa, you need to have the money for the whole year, not like the first month, and if you keep working, you know, because people have that money at least for a month, but then I don't have the money to to stay a whole year in Spain, saved up. So they wanted you to go into a first student visa and have like 10,000 euros in your account. Of course I don't have that. <laughs> so I can't ask for a student visa. So I'm asking for the refugee status as I'm going to go on. Well, that, I, I, I hope you get it. I, I really do. Um, yeah. um, but I'm glad that you're able to leave Venezuela and, you know, um, I'm... Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Is is your mother going with you or, or, or not? No, she's not. Um, no. Because, I mean, I mean, my grandmother is here and she, I mean, she's already old, so she won't move out of Venezuela probably. And uh, so my mom will stay with my grandmother. Uh, also, I can't work. I know I have a job when I arrive in Spain, but my mother won't have one. So, and I... And I can't afford, yeah, I mean, because she's a lawyer. So you, there are so many things you can do as a lawyer, but, but within your own country. If you're a lawyer and you go to another country, um, your degree is pretty much worthless, you know. Uh, so uh, she, if, if she wants to go to Spain, she, she would find it difficult to find jobs until um, the Spanish government gives her like the the how do you call it like the the working permit and it, it is not 
uh, right away as you arrive. You ask for the refugee status, then a couple of months passes, and then you can work. I mean, as I, because I work remotely, I, I don't have any problems. But she wouldn't be able to work if you want, you know, to be, I don't know, a waitress or something like that. So it is much harder for her. And I wouldn't be able to to afford living, um, I mean, for me and at my cost and her cost. So, um, yeah, she's not living for now. Maybe in the future when I'm more uh, established in Spain. Yeah, well, I hope that you're able to get out as many people as you can. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, well, um, do you have, okay, so do you have anything else? Like, how is the, how is the government with the people? Are they still sort of how they were before? Or better, worse? <laughs> I mean, um, I would say the same. For example, I mean, the why don't okay? Because yeah. I don't know who all's heard that episode. So oh, why okay. don't you tell me what the same is? Yeah, the government is uh, the government like. I'm going to talk about also a little bit about Cuba and what's happening in Cuba. Um, oh, sure. Because it's really connected to us. Um, the government in Venezuela tried to put in jail the political enemy. So you may have a, a political party that is from the position. You may be an activist, a political activist from the opposition, and that doesn't mean that they will immediately put you in jail, but it does mean that you're in danger. And along, along the history of Talismo, on these past 21 years, a lot of people ended up in jail or even killed by the government. This is non this is not a secret, it happens. Uh, the, the UN has reports on this. Uh, it is public, public information. This is not a lie, not an hyperbole. It is what it is. And for example, recently, uh, like the, the last week, one of the biggest political um, figures of the position Maybe not right now, but he was. I mean, he, he was going to be caught, caught in jail a few years ago, maybe three years ago or two. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, he found shelter on the embassy of Chile here in Venezuela. Of course, it is an embassy, so the government uh, wasn't going to trespass the, the building, you know. Mm-hmm. But then... On December, the government said, you know what, I'm going to drop the charges. I'm going to put you in jail. So he leaves. He leaves, but he didn't leave Venezuela, which I do believe it is a mistake. I don't think that being a martyr does any good at this point in Venezuela. 
I mean, yeah. I don't want to be, I don't want you to be in jail. What does that help? That doesn't help me at all. You do more good if you are outside of Venezuela by speaking up than in jail. So, but anyways, he didn't leave. He didn't want to kill you. He stayed here, and just last week he got arrested. They are accusing them. Oh, well, actually, something uh, I'm, I'm gonna get into. I'm gonna get into that. Something that really happened two weeks ago in uh, in Caracas, in, in the capital city. As many cities in the world, we have a, a, they are very bad places, and we have our own slums. They are very very similar to the slums in Brazil. They all look exactly the same. It is they are very similar. So um, we have big, big slums here in Caracas. One of them that is very famous, um, it is controlled because these slums are controlled by gangs. These gangs are way too powerful because they were armed by the government many years ago. And you say, like, what does that mean? What, what do you mean that the government armed the gang? Well, the government, since they're criminals too, they they have like an association with the gangs. I don't know, maybe because of uh, drug deals, um, also to control the population. It is like, I'm not going to go to the slum, so you control it, but you promise me that you're going to do what I told you. And that, that's the thing that happened. So these gangs are armed in a way that you can imagine, and these people have like <laughs> they have military equipment. These gangs, yeah. they have yeah. rifles that even came from America because the government ended up buying them in the black market, and then the government of Venezuela gave them to them. I mean, um, um, uh, they are they have grenades. They have everything that the military would have, okay? So one of these gangs are in sometimes, I mean, something happened. Uh, I, I wouldn't say, I, I can't say what, what happened or why it happened, but some of these gangs now have friction with the government. Uh, maybe because of drugs. I mean, I really don't know. We don't know, the public. We don't know what happened. So yeah, they started to they started to to fight against the 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 public the the security forces the military and the police. So in in that area of the sea for more than two days, forty eight hours straight, these gangs were fighting against the police and shooting at each other. The thing is, it is an area where a lot of people leave. And a lot of people end up being killed because of um, what do you, I don't know how do you call it in in crossfires? I mean okay, they, are they are okay, say, you know, they, say it again, I'll help you. Say it again. I mean a lot of a lot of people got killed because they got in the middle of the Oh yeah, the crossfire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're civilians. So, yeah. 
Yeah, some of them were in their homes because they're all of building. They were in their apartments, but uh, the how do you say the you know the projectile? Oh, yeah, the bullet. The bullet. bullet. Yeah, the bullet, bullet got through their windows and killed them. So for 48 hours, in a radius of three to five kilometers, people in Caracas were hiding in their own homes because they could have been killed by these gangs or the police. Even kids got hit. I mean, it was bad. A lot of people died. It, it, it was real. So it was like a breakthrough. I mean, it, it was really amazing because it is usually this can happen in the slums, but this dragged out to the city, you know, to the highway. People in the highway need, needed to run. Like they leave their cars parked in the highway. Because if they keep going in with their cars, they were going to get into a, a very dangerous zone. So they park their cars in the highway and run away. So it was pretty bad. The government is trying to find who are the responsible for this. I mean, the responsible are the gangs and themselves because they give the guns to them. To them. But, you know, they took this opportunity as a way to frame political decision and say that they are the ones that are causing this. So these political activists that I told you before, that was in the embassy of Chile many years ago, oh, not two years ago, um, they arrested him and they say that he's one of the people that gave the, that gave the guns to the gang, which is completely nonsense. Nonsense. But it's just to tell you how weird it is the problem. I mean, I, I'm, I'm explaining this to you, and I'm constantly thinking, damn, how is someone going to understand this? They, I mean, this is, I know I live it, but I know this is not normal. This is not easy to explain to anyone who lives in a normal country. I know it is bad. And I know it is complicated. And it is even more complicated than what I tell you. So these yeah. gangs, um, with the military equipment and, and like that, like are they are are they into drugs or they are they dealing narcotics or, or what is their business? So then Oh, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't get you. Can you repeat that for me? Yeah. So these gangs that are that have military weapons, okay? Mm-hmm. They what is their business? Are they are they dealing drugs or or what? They have a lot of business. Because, for, yes, drugs is one of them, but it is also control of territory. What I mean by that? The fact that there are areas that police just don't go make, uh, make them, uh, make them, the gangs, to cover. So now the gangs are the ones in charge of those areas. You know? 
it happens not only in Caracas, but in, in, in other parts, in the countryside of Venezuela too. Even in the countryside, it's even, even bigger. I mean, it, it's a bigger problem because, you know, there is more rural, rural areas, so you have a lot of space. So the gangs are dominating huge, huge areas of the space, you know? So now these gangs have control of the territory and they can do whatever they want with, the, with that land and they can do whatever they want with the people in the land. So imagine, for example, I don't know, they kill people if someone pays them. They protect people if someone pays them. They also ask vendors, like uh, businessmen, yeah, vendors, yeah. When I say businessmen, sounds like they are big figures. No, I'm talking about everyone that has like a little, even like a little foot stall in their, in front of their home. They are asking all those people to pay them a monthly or a weekly fee for them to be able to sell their goods. Oh, you want to sell uh, hot dogs on the street? And literally hot dogs. I'm not like, if you literally want to sell hot dogs on the street, then you have to pay me weekly in order for you to be in there because this is my land. You get me? It's that kind of mentality. It's like a feudal thing. I hope I said it right. Feudal? I don't know how to say it anyway. Okay, say it, say it again. Um, it's, um, feudal? 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 Feudal. Yeah, it's feudal. feudal. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in the Spanish, feudal. it's the same. In, in the Spanish, it's the same. Just uh, the way you pronounce me, so it's, it's a little bit hard for me. But yeah, it is like, I, I can imagine this happen in the 15th century, but without guns yeah. and with yeah. swords. It's like the same way of, of, of imposing yeah. power. Let me ask a question. Let me ask, let me change topics. Um, you told me, like I say, I don't know how many people have heard our podcast from earlier. So you told me then how you learn how to speak English. Would you mind telling everybody how you learn how to speak English? This is an incredible story, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, many Venezuelan schools, especially private schools, um, teach English. Public, public schools also should be teaching English, but since the situation in Venezuela is that bad, many public schools don't have English teachers. But it is actually mandatory, in theory, you know. But yes. private schools all of them have English teachers. So I had an English teacher at my school since kindergarten, then elementary, middle, high school. But the English that they teach and the way they teach English is, you know, it is pretty bad. So it's more like you, you end up, if you only rely on your English lessons at school, you won't end up speaking English. So what I did, because um, I I hear a lot of music and I watch a lot of TV shows, um, 
I started also. Um, this is this is. Uh, I'm gonna shame Americans for not doing this. Um, we usually watch our shows with subtitles, and actually, there are shows in Spanish, but in Venezuela, usually, which which is different in other parts of Latin America. Mexicans, for example, usually watch their shows translated. Some of them, not 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 every show, but yeah. you know, in Venezuela, we have um, we had a lot of shows with subtitles, and I watch them yeah. with subtitles, yeah. so I hear a lot of English-speaking music. And finally, I play a lot of video games and got into the internet So you couldn't be, <laughs> I mean, at some point you realize maybe I was, I was 12, I wasn't going to uh, enjoy, really enjoy the internet without speaking English or knowing English. So I just learn it with the time. It's not like I can't tell you like my specific path of learning English because it's very organic. So that's why I, my English is not perfect because I, I haven't lived in the U.S. or in an English-speaking country and I don't speak English with pretty much anyone. I usually you read it. Let me, let, read me it. let me tell you the truth. Um, you probably have about a, I would say a college level vocabulary in English. <laughs> I, I would say, honestly. And what's amazing to me is like I translate German documents and you speak way better English than, I mean, like when you told me like I watch television and I learned English from television. I'm like, I'll watch a television show in Turkish. You know, I'll watch a Turkish television show, and I don't know Turkish. I don't know. <laughs> you know, wow. It's, I don't know. So, congratulations. And not only do you know English, but you know English idioms. You know English slang, which is amazing. That's amazing to me. That's because of the internet. Yeah, I that's well no, I can TV shows too. But the internet has a lot uh yeah, I need to thank the internet of, uh, because of that. Because like I said, I, I was twelve years old and saying like I realize I don't know, going into forums or you know, finding things on the internet, I was a very curious kid. And then at some point you realize you need to write English. So you learn this internet line from very early on, and they teach. Yeah, yeah. You taught you taught yourself English. That's that's amazing. I, and that's to me that's just like wow. And also one one thing that I see a lot. Um, uh -huh. I don't think that anyone that hears well maybe I don't know, but I don't think so. But anyone that hears your podcast are going to say, oh, she speaks English, so she must be a privileged kid. But on the internet, or at least on Twitter, a lot of communists, because, you know, they're communists, <laughs> you know, um, they, they say, oh, another white Venezuelan who speaks perfect English. You pro your grandparents probably own slaves, or your grandparents probably... Yeah have big lands. And like, what? Well, 
with me, I can assure you that none of us grandparents have enslaved in Venezuela because slavery was abolished in Venezuela way before it was abolished in the U.S. To me, yeah, to me, what I find, to me, the thing you have to remember about Twitter is um, there's a lot of people that go on Twitter and they're just angry. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really just angry people. And to me, I think it's sad. I, I really do. I think to mm-hmm. me, if, you, if you're going to be that angry, I mean, that's just sad that you're, that you're living in this world and you're choosing to be angry because to me, anger is a choice. Anything is a choice. You know? Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I get the it. Thing, yeah, and the thing to me that's like so inspirational about you is, like, there's so many people in this country where I live that complain about things that they don't need to complain about. And here you are, you live in an actual, you know, you live in an actual authoritarian regime, and you're just getting through life, and it's really amazing. It's just, congrats, I mean, you know, thank you for coming on my show. And... I would, I would love to talk to you again. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. All right. So just, uh, hang on the line for me and I'm going to disconnect the call.